The scripture reading this morning is taken from Colossians 2, verses 6 through 16. Colossians 2, 6 through 16. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spirit forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. All right, I hope you have brought Bibles with you because we will be needing them. I will challenge you to use them somewhat this morning. But let's begin by reading probably a fairly, fairly familiar story from the book of Luke. And I want to deal with the topic facing the enemy. Um, we have an enemy and we need to face that enemy and to deal with them. Luke chapter 8. And we'll begin reading there in verse 26. Luke chapter 8 and verse 26. The night before, Jesus had said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake of Galilee or the Sea of Canaret, it's called in the Old Testament. And so they went across, and during that night there was a horrible storm, and the next day they landed on the farther side, on the eastern side, and, uh, which is now the foothills of the Golan Heights. But at any rate, um, here they go. So verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, from the land of Galilee, the area of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. 
Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the regions of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. I don't know if you have been watching the news lately, but if you have, you may have heard reports that people are concerned now that in the country of Syria that there is a war happening within a war. And what happened in Syria this past week is that an Al-Qaeda-backed faction of the, of the rebels ambushed another group of rebels and killed one of the commanding officers, and there appears to be infighting going on among the rebels in Syria, and part of that is due to the fact that it's the same thing that is happening in Egypt right now. There is a, a conflict between those who want democracy and those who want an Islamist regime that is governed by Sharia law. And, and that is one of, the, one of the problems. And when you watch these things blow up in the Middle East, when, when Egypt gets rid of its ruler, when they got rid of Mubarak, uh, what happened was that an Islamist faction got in, Morsi, who was the president of Egypt, and they turfed him out a couple of weeks ago. Now his backers want him back in because in Egypt you have a group of fundamentalist Muslims who want to impose Muslim and Sharia law on Egypt and another group of people who want democracy. So just because you toss out a dictator does not mean that you automatically you're going to have something good because you could get wind up with something far worse. The trouble is that in Egypt and in Syria it is difficult to identify the opposition and the enemy. You don't know. There's a huge car bomb went off in, in Lebanon this week in, in an area that, that was controlled by Hezbollah, which is backing Syria's President Assad, and they figure one of the rebel factions said it, but they don't know who. When I was at Stony Lake Bible Camp a couple of weeks ago, I visited with a man who was a veteran of World War II. He mostly fought the Japanese, and he said, you know, when I was in the army, when I was fighting in the war, it was relatively easy because the enemy wore a uniform. We could identify him. He says, nowadays, when, these, when our armies go to war, they don't know who the enemy is. And while we may not realize it, or while we may not want to acknowledge it, today, you and I live in a state of warfare, even right here in Nippuan. 
And we need to be able to identify the enemy and we need to be able to deal with that enemy. The Bible says that our enemy prowls around our enemy and then the Bible identifies him as the devil. The Bible says that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's not just happening in the Middle East. That is true for Nippon today. Now, when we prayed this morning before the service, we asked that God would put a hedge of protection over our gathering here this morning. And I believe that there is a bubble here and God allows us to speak freely. But there is an enemy who's seeking to devour, to destroy you and me as Christians. Okay, there are people out there who hate us. Many Muslims hate us simply because we are Christians. There is an enemy out there who hates us, who seeks to do us harm. His name is Satan because we are Christians. And the Bible says, therefore, we, you and I, need to be self-controlled and to be alert because our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Our enemy is looking for prey, and that prey is you and me if we let him. So, we need to learn to deal with a formidable enemy. And the Bible talks about this enemy. Here's a story. A demon-possessed man, absolutely controlled by the demons, not worn clothes or lived in a house for a long time. He lived in the tombs. He was often chained hand and foot. He was kept under guard, but no one could contain him. And so he was driven by the demon into solitary places. And when Jesus found him, he saw Jesus, the Bible says, verse 28, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? He certainly knew who Jesus was. A man who was possessed by the enemy. His name is Satan. And that word means adversary. It means enemy. We use that word lightly, but he is our enemy. He is the chief antagonist of God and people. And if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me. Satan is not a figment of people's imagination. He's not some guy in a red suit with horns and, and a pitchfork wandering around. Turn with me to, to Ezekiel 28, and there you will find a little bit of the story, and I will give you some of that Old Testament history that happened before creation. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. And the heading of the chapter says that this is a prophecy concerning the king of Tyre, but most Bible scholars believe that this is an account of what happened in paradise or, or happened before uh, God made Adam and Eve. And so... Um, verse 11, chapter 28 of Ezekiel, verse 11. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, God Almighty, you were the model of perfection. It's talking about Satan here. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, robe, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. Satan is a created being. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. A cherub is not, is not a cute little pudgy boy angel a cherub is a guardian angel it's a warrior angel and and if you would have seen 
Satan in all his beauty and in his glory would have been absolutely dazzling. He was anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And so, middle of verse 16, So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 8, or 14, pardon me. Go back to, to, to Isaiah chapter 8, oh, 14, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you once who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. And that's where Satan's sin was. I will make myself like the Most High. God is not the boss of me. God says, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. This is not some harmless, benign being with horns in a red suit holding a pitchfork. This is one of God's most powerful creatures, most magnificent creatures who fell. And we have a formidable enemy. And sometimes we as people get out of line and we ridicule and we belittle this enemy and we need to be extremely careful. In the little book of Jude, we see these verses. Melanie, I don't know if you can put them on the screen for us. But what happened there was, um, you see, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because Moses had a hissy fit. And God said, because of your hissy fit, you are not allowed to go into the promised land. But because God was afraid that people would make a shrine out of Moses' grave and begin to worship there and begin to worship Moses, he took Moses up on a mountain and he buried him there someplace. No one knows where Moses' grave is. And here we get, that's all we're told in the Old Testament, but here we get a little bit of the rest of the story. And, and Jude is talking about some men who slander celestial beings. He's talking about false teachers who have no sense, no, no respect for what they're dealing with. <clears throat> Jude says, but even the archangel Michael. Michael is probably the most powerful. Michael and Gabriel, probably the most powerful and majestic and high of all the angelic beings. Michael, 
who is the prince of Israel, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, there was an argument. God put Moses to death, and here's Satan on one side, and the archangel Michael on the other, and they're arguing about what's going to happen to the body of Moses. Two of the highest created beings that have ever been created. Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against them, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And angels at this point rank far higher than you and I do in the spiritual realm. When we get to be glorified, we will rank above them. But right now, they rank above us. And even the highest of, the, highest of God's angels, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Not, I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Why? Because we have a formidable enemy, and we need to respect that. He's mighty, but he's not almighty. He doesn't have the attributes of God. Satan isn't everywhere present at the same time. He's only in one place at one time. Now, he has thousands of demons who do his work, angels who fell with him. He's mighty, but he's not almighty. His domain is the earth. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and you read that story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all in chapter 4 of those three books, <clears throat> Satan said to Jesus, if you fall down, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone who wants to. Satan's realm is the earth. It's where we live. That's his domain. And Jesus didn't argue with him. Satan was absolutely right when he said, it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. In the book of Job, you read the story of Job that says the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan was among them. And, and, and Satan asked, or God asked Satan, where have you been? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. You'll find the same thing in chapter 2, Verses 1 and 2, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. That's his realm. And his goal is to destroy, to maim, to torment, to defame, to divide. Satan is everything opposite. If God is here, Satan is exactly opposite of what God does. Now, how do you recognize the enemy? We live in a world <coughs> that is stained by sin. There's no two ways about it. But not everything in this world or everything that goes wrong is the work of, of the enemy. Part of it is just the fact that we live in a fallen world. I'm getting older. Okay, that's not Satan's fault. That's the fact that Adam and Eve sinned and I live in a sinful world and this body isn't designed to live forever. I've got heart issues. It's not anything I can fix. It's not anything I can exercise. It's not anything that medication is going to help. The only thing that can help it is either an operation or God laying his hand on me and going, poof, son, you're fixed. It's not an attack of the enemy. It's simply being human. And not all illness and not everything that's wrong is the work of the devil. Not all mental illness is demon possession or demonic in origin. 
Our psyche, the body says we're made of body, soul, and spirit, and our psyche gets sick just in the same way that the body does. I have an issue with my heart. Some people have an issue in, inside, their, inside their psyche. And some people are demonic-controlled or demon-possessed. There's no two ways about it. But if we know the enemy's characteristics and tactics, it helps us deal with his work. You see, our human tendency is to minimize or to deny who the enemy is. We have Halloween. Witches, ghosts, goblins, zombies. It's all in good fun, right? It's all innocent. We have horror movies and vampires and zombie movies and all that other fun stuff. You try making a movie sometime portraying the Nazis as the good guys or dressing up as Hitler for Halloween and see how far that gets you. I went to a, to a social occasion once many years ago here in Nippu and there was a woman who I knew was a Christian dressed up as a witch in a black dress and a black witch's hat where carrying a broom and everything like, how dumb are you? That's the enemy. That's the other side. That's the dark side. What are you doing over there? We have friends who are missionaries in Arianjaya who lived with the reality of the demonic every day. They had physical things of, of getting thrown into the bush, getting thrown off the trail by demonic forces. They came to North America and talked about it in one church, and some ladies said to them after they had told that story, they said, Puh, everybody knows that isn't real. You guys shouldn't even be missionaries. We have a formidable enemy, an enemy who can do us great harm. And people often treat the demonic like death. That is, if I don't think about it or talk about it, then it won't happen to me. But the reality is that we have an enemy who seeks to do us harm. Now, in the book of Job, there was this meeting between God and, God and Satan. And God says to Satan, have you, seen, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, but. Yeah, he's a goody two-shoes, but the reason he's such a goody two-shoes is because you won't let me at him. You put a fence around him. You put a hedge around him, and I can't get through that, but let me at him, and I'll make sure that he curses you. Satan says, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan says, I bet he can do it. If you can let me at him. And so God says, go for it. And here's Job baffled and bewildered because he doesn't know what's going on. His life just comes unglued. But the reality is God puts a hedge around each and every single one of us. God protects us from the enemy, but there are times that either God allows holes in that hedge or you and I make holes in that hedge by ourselves and give the enemy access to our lives. Now, there are obvious things like, like the occult. If you get involved in witchcraft or sorcery or, or go to seances or Ouija boards or tarot cards or fortune-telling or horoscopes or palm reading or any of those things, you're making openings in that hedge and the enemy can get at you. And we know about that kind of stuff. 
There are other ways that you can make openings in that hedge, and that is by yielding control of your mind to another. And Paul said, I will worship God with my spirit, but I will also worship God with my mind. When you take drugs, when you take mind-altering drugs or you become under the control of a narcotic, I'm not talking about going to the hospital and, and, and having sedatives and those kind of things, but when you take drugs, recreational drugs, you yield your control of your mind to something else and you're wide open. When you drink, you become wide open because someone or something else is in control of your physical reason and you yield control. When you get involved in things like extrasensory perception, ESP, when you get involved in trances, when you get involved with things like the force or Eastern mysticism or hypnotism, or even the search for supernatural experiences as, as a spiritual high, where there are people who have gone to places who have opened themselves up, uh, you know, I'm going to open my mind up to whatever. When you do that, you also open your mind up to the enemy. You need to be careful. And, and one of the things that has happened is, is within Christianity, there have been all kinds of things that have come in simply because people were looking for supernatural experiences. Now, not everything is right and not everything is wrong, and the Bible tells us that we need to be careful. We need to test the spirits. I have a book in my office of a guy who was a leader of a cult. I am not necessarily against speaking in tongues. But in my life, I have only seen it done once, biblically. The Bible says two or three, one at a time, there must be interpretation. Only one time have I ever seen that. The guy who was the leader of this cult wanted this gift in the worst possible way. And so he said he had a familiar spirit who guided him. Familiar spirit. Where does that come from? Not from God. He said, I received the gift of tongues when I was laying naked in a bed between naked, two naked women and neither one of them was his wife. Where do you think that gift of tongues came from? It needs to be, we need to have discernment. And when you open your mind up to anything, to whatever, Lord, need to be so careful. The Bible says we need to test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do you do that? Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 says that we are not to be conformed to this, to this world. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and to approve what God's will is, His good and perfect will. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. What was happening in Isaiah's day? What There were false prophets. And people were listening to these false prophets, and the false prophets were prophesying good things. And Isaiah said this, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony? That's talking about God's Word. And God's written Word is the final judge. It's the final standard of everything in faith and life and practice. Everything we do has to line up with God's Word. If it doesn't line up with God's Word, it's not just because 
People will say, well, it feels good, then it's got to be right. You know what? If it doesn't line up with God's Word, God's Word is the standard. It is the absolute standard by which we judge anything. If they do not speak according to this Word, they have no light of dawn. I remember when I was in Bible school, I was told about one man who had written in the front of his Bible, I don't care what the Bible says, I've had an experience. You know, experience is not the test of orthodoxy. The test of orthodoxy is God's Word. So, there are obvious things that open our, our hedge up, poke holes in our hedge that allow Satan access to us. Things like witchcraft and the occult. We acknowledge that. Even opening your mind up, when you get controlled by foreign substances. I was working with one young man whose, whose vices were... were um, Marijuana and death metal music. And the demonic would just flow out of him. We'd work with it. We'd clean it up. He'd go back, smoke up again, go back to listening to death metal music, come back, same thing all over again. It's like a pig going back to, to the mud and wallowing in that stuff. You open up your mind, you, you, you yield control of your mind to someone or something else. You leave yourself wide open to the satanic attacks. But there's a third entrance through your hedge, and that's this. Things you and I don't think about. What about things like anger? See, Ephesians 26, 4, 26, 27 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If you have a problem with anger in your life, if you have a problem with unforgiveness, if you have a problem with not being able to let go of things, you're giving the devil a foothold. There's a hole in your hedge, and Satan can get at you. What about things like bitterness? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. See and do it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I know a man who is still complaining about stuff that happened 30 years ago. Let it go. Let it go. Bitterness is a cancer that will destroy you from the inside on out, and it pokes a hole in your hedge. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 talks about the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Are you more concerned about making a good deal or are you more concerned about the relationship between you and another Christian? 1 Samuel 15, 23, we talked about this last week or a week or two ago. Rebellion. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. Divination is witchcraft. Are there things in your life that you know God is telling you not to do? Or God is telling you to do and you're saying, I won't do it. I don't want to. It'll be embarrassing to me. I'll lose face. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. And arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. 
What about divisiveness? Do you have an issue with someone or something in this church, in another church? Seven things that God hates, and this is the end of the list. A false witness who pours out lies and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. I used to know four brothers who played in a band. They played at dances in, in country where Kathy and I lived, and a lot of those dances, the police left at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and so they were free-for-alls after that. And one of them, one of those brothers, was someone who liked to stir up dissension. And he would walk up to someone and say, you know what that guy just said about you? And then a little later, he'd walk over to this other guy. And he said, you know what that guy just said about you, what I heard him say? And the fight would be on. He'd stand there and laugh. That's what Satan does. You know? If you have a problem with someone, one of your brothers or sisters, have you talked to someone else about it before you have talked to that person? If you have, you're wrong. You're disobedient. If you gossiped about someone, you're wrong. You're disobedient. You need to talk to that person one-on-one. -on -one. That's the Bible says how you resolve conflict. You have a problem with someone, you go talk to that person. You don't talk to someone else. You don't go around causing trouble, causing division and, and gossiping about people. Revelation 12, verse 10. This is one of the enemy's favorite tactics. The accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Who is the accuser of our brothers? Satan, our enemy, our adversaries. Satan goes to God and says, have you seen Bill? Did you see him blow it again? You know, God says, yeah, but my son took care of that. It's okay. Satan says, yeah, but you should punish him for that. God says, my son has taken care of it. You see, we need to be aware of his tactics. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11 says, uh, if you forgive anyone, Paul's writing here, he says, I also forgive him, and in what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the, sake, in the sight of Christ for your sake. Why? So that Satan might not outwit us. Satan likes nothing better than for you to have unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart towards someone else. And the Bible says we are not unaware of his schemes. We know how this guy works. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, his scheming. And we can deal with the enemy. Jesus dealt with this man. He set him free. The man was clothed and in his right mind when this episode was over. And he begged to go with Jesus. Jesus said, look, you don't need to come with me. Go home and tell everybody what I've done for you. How you have been set free. <coughs> we can deal with it. We need to be careful of usurping authority that isn't ours. Remember Michael and the Archangel Michael and, and the body of Moses. But recognize the devil's scheme. When you get the temptation to talk to someone else about what someone else has done to you, don't. Recognize the devil's schemes. 
He is out to cause division, dissension. Satan wants nothing more than to divide you and your wife, to divide you and your children, to divide you and your friends, to divide you and your church, to cause division among the Christians in this town. We need to recognize the schemes. And then the Bible says we need to resist them. We don't need to run from them. We need to resist them. And then if you go to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read this together. We have the equipment. We have the means. We have the, the authority to deal with this particular task. We need to recognize what he does. We need to resist him. And then according to Ephesians chapter 6, we need to do this. Starting in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can what? Take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Colossians, the passage we read earlier, says Jesus made a public spectacle out of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, what? You may be able to stand. And after you have done everything, the stand. Then, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, Take up the shield of faith by which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit with the word of God. Note that the only offensive weapon you and I have is the word of God. To the word and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of day. Those are the verses from Isaiah. To the word and to the testimony. It is the word. Not what someone else says. It is the Word of God. It, it's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. It is the Word of God. It is our only offensive weapon. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So stand and watch and wait because the best is yet to come. Oh, God. We're so glad that Jesus conquered, triumphed over all the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle out of them, triumphing over them by his cross. By faith, we claim the blood of Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. We claim the victory by faith. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.